Beyond the Codes. What sets German coaching apart? By Jonathan Harding. Available from ockleybooks.co.uk and from Amazon. Chapter 6 Erfinder Innovator Part 1 We want to create chaos, but we also want to control it. Helmut Gross As we stand outside Arbe Leipzig's academy while the fire alarm goes off, Helmut Gross smiles at me and says, Now I will get to know everyone at the club. Moments ago, one of Germany's greatest football minds, and a close advisor and friend of Ralph Ranick, had explained the benefits and challenges of a modern-day football club staff to me. The 70-year-old, whose sharp blue eyes still glint, is also keen to point out that a tactics board stands in the corner, should we need it. Gross spends the next two hours, fire alarm break included, talking to me about his role in the development of coaches in Germany. Through an endearing Swabian accent that makes him occasionally sound like Germany head coach Joachim Löw, Gross talks about the importance of looking beyond your own borders, the value of youth football, and the difference cognitive thinking makes. This is the man who has influenced not only Ranić, whom he worked with at Stuttgart, but also Marcus Gisdol, Roger Schmidt, and Thomas Tuchel, the generation before Julian Nagelsmann and Domenico Tedesco. Tapping into his knowledge is a privilege. I think those head coaches that are interesting are the ones that looked outside of Germany. In our time, we always learned more from Arrigo Sacchi in Italy or Valeri Lobanovsky, and later the Spanish, and for a time the French, who were European champions in 1984 with ball-orientated zonal marking, says Gross, before adding with a smile that back then it was called zone-tied man-marking because they didn't know what else to call it. Gross adds legendary Austrian coach Ernst Happel to the list of influences, as well as Switzerland, a country where coaching styles were successfully mixed. An open and receptive football mind is what interests Gross about Germany's batch of young coaches, the ones that look abroad and do not just focus on Germany. Germany's chief scout, Urs Siegenthaler, was once asked in an interview with the Berliner Morgenpost about his fascinating theory that a country plays like its mentality. Siegenthaler's response was an extension of what Vormut mentioned about his time with Joachim Löw in Turkey in Chapter 2. You also have to look at the country, the people and their mentality in order to understand the opposition better, he told the paper. If you travel through Mexico, Sweden and South Korea, it's obvious where the differences are. Their culture. Mexicans are gleeful for life. If in doubt, they seek their salvation in football through attack. They have the mindset, we score more goals than we concede. That's difficult to calculate. The Swedish are completely different. Ride a motorcycle through Sweden. Everything is organised. No one breaks ranks. Everyone follows the traffic laws. The Swedes are normally chilly. That's how they play football too. Controlled and decent. And then there are the South Koreans. These are hard-working people who are very disciplined. They take on tasks almost obsessively. While cultural aspects do not always reflect the sporting approach, their incorporation into scout reports show an understanding for the human aspects of coaching. At the 2018 World Cup, Mexico certainly did seek, and found, their salvation in attack. 
And while Sweden were perhaps not as organised as their country's traffic laws, they made life difficult for Germany. The central thought around the red and blue circle and the four trigrams on the South Korean flag is perfect harmony and balance. While South Korea weren't perfect against Germany, they were a brilliant team. They raised their game as individuals and taught Germany a lesson on what togetherness translates to on the football pitch. Many coaches look abroad for inspiration, and Gross is no different. Working at Stuttgart during the early 90s, Gross and Rannick were able to develop their philosophy at youth level thanks to the reform of youth football and the introduction of academies in Germany. When he was president of the DFB, Gerhard Meyer-Vorfelder pushed through the academies to make it a must for first and second division sides to have academy teams. That meant we needed good coaches as well, of course. This was also part of the development, that the coaches would have an optimal education in terms of coaching. They had to be full-time, and that wasn't always the case beforehand. Although back then, depending on the job they had, they weren't always the worst ones, Gross says, intriguingly. But a full-time coach, normally with a sports science degree, was the foundation of a good career. And in academies, they developed players. Like Frank Vormuth, Gross, who worked as an advisor at RB Salzburg and Hoffenheim before joining RB Leipzig in 2012, believes if something is to be done, it should be done right. If the outgoing effort is great enough, a certain level of quality is expected in return. In Germany, whenever something costs money, then you take it more seriously. You want something in return, Gross says. That's why a different kind of quality was born in terms of education. At the same time as young players started to develop, so did young head coaches. German football has benefited from that in the past, and hopefully still will in the future. When Jurgen Klopp was appointed head coach of Mainz back in 2001 and proved a success, it gave German clubs permission to take a risk on a younger, perhaps internal coach. While they can't always be the answer, the decision coincided with the sprouting of Germany's academies, and that meant more intelligent players demanded a different kind of coach. Despite the success of Klopp and those that followed, Gross believes the numbers aren't high enough. For me, the rate is still not good enough. It's still only individuals, Nagelsmann, Tuchel, who have made it through. Gross knows another member of Germany's talented young head coach movement, Roger Schmidt, whom he used to work with at Abe Salzburg. In his second year at the club, he said, if that's the way they want it, I'll show them it can perhaps be even better. He exaggerated the approach, and in the exaggeration of our philosophy came the progress. I have to exaggerate in order to develop, and then I have to review which exaggerations led to a nosebleed and which brought advantages. The main advantage of exaggeration is it surprises opponents. In Roger's second year at Salzburg, that's what happened and led to his legendary win against Ajax in the Europa League. Ajax play that classic Dutch football, and the essential approach of Dutch football is almost the exact opposite of our philosophy. If we could pick out an ideal opponent, then it would always be a team that plays Dutch football, says Kroos. They had a huge edge, thanks to Johan Cruyff, but they stood still. It's almost impressive how after every defeat they say, we don't need to change our style, we just need to do it better. Back then, against Ajax, their approach played into our hands. They lost 6-1 on aggregate, but supposedly only because they didn't implement their philosophy well enough. That is deadly for the Netherlands, says Gross, who believes the same is true of England. We can always find a way in against the Dutch, because they always try to play their positional style, independent of whether we try to prevent that with purposeful chaos. 
Because chaos is exactly what the Dutch don't need. They want their system and their organization. We want to create chaos, but we also want to control it. Control is the key word for coaching. What can and can't a head coach control? When do they take a step back and let things control themselves? Cognitive training is one of the hardest parts to manage. Kors tells me how he and Ranik have nurtured and developed their approach over the years. The cognitive skills we develop are designed to release ourselves through the chaos, and we can take advantages from that. And, in return, the opposition sinks into chaos. That's linked to those cognitive skills, such as quickly recognizing situations, anticipation, and quick reactions. But it's also linked to the desire to work at an extremely high physical, very intense level. Those two things, the intensity of the game, playing with high dynamism, and thinking and reacting quickly, they are the main features. When we've had the smallest failure, such as not getting promoted, then people say, we told you that wouldn't work the way they're exaggerating and making chaos, then they always said we were tired in the 70th minute and that we had challenged ourselves too much. There are ways to recover during a game, and what's decisive is whether you're successful following this method. In the moment when you're leading in the 70th minute and successful, there are happy hormones in your head that give you that second wave. Then it's irrelevant how tired you are physically because the brain will keep going. But if it goes the other way and you suffer surprise disappointment, then paralysis sets in, and you notice the intensive physical aspect, Cross says before adding proudly. That's rare with us. So is it cerebral thinking from both coach and player that have allowed German football to take a step forwards in recent years? Cross believes so, but isn't sure every coach is aware of it. You always notice that it's decisive how you grow up with football. If I grew up with a Dutch football philosophy, then my cognitive skills are connected to that. It's often about calmness and width and safety, apparent safety. As a player, a coach, a fan, or even a journalist, I develop certain cognitive skills that fit that style. And if someone does something completely different, then I'm uncomfortable. I bristle. Former footballers don't want to admit they did the wrong thing or something different. That makes people agitated, so they start to form counter-arguments, Cross says. Admitting mistakes is difficult. In football... It's almost impossible. Head coaches often do so to take the pressure off their players, but coaching staff have to overcome a great deal of vanity to achieve success. That can make accepting error and seeking solutions, a healthy part of improvement, trickier. If even a fraction of any team hasn't adapted to this mindset, trouble can occur. It's often those that like to keep the ball, play the short pass, Gross tells me. I always say they long for calmness or slowness, because their entire cognitive thinking is aligned that way. They have a certain level of intensity, and if the play speeds up, it gets uncomfortable. Gross proudly declares that Leipzig create speed and chaos, and that can cause problems for everyone, including those watching. Gross tells me that famous commentator Marcel Reif once said, it's great what they're doing, but it's missing someone holding onto the ball for a moment or two. Being different is a key part of development. To succeed as a leader, a coach, going your own way, breaking away from the safe option is often very necessary, and often it's young coaches who tend to do it. But resistance can accompany that path, as Roger Schmidt found out at Leverkusen. Schmidt's desire to play extremely intense football, the kind that makes the opposition uncomfortable, put Leverkusen on a roller coaster ride. But the dips in form started to become the norm, and eventually cost him his job. 
Klaus thinks such opposition no longer exists in Germany. I think in 12 games, Leverkusen hadn't conceded from open play, only from set pieces. Set pieces are situations that can be handled similarly in every philosophy. Then they lost after 12 games, I think two games back to back, and then, because they lost those two games, people said the philosophy was far too attacking. They can't defend. Even though in 12 games beforehand they hadn't conceded from open play at all, people weren't interested anymore. That can be frustrating. Such criticism can lead to headlines, which can lead to doubts. That in turn can be damaging, and it can divide a team too. Of the 12 regulars, five said they wanted to play like they did before, even though they were successful, even though they were in the Champions League. The moment a small crisis arrives, the same thing that made the team successful in the first place is blamed for the arrival of the crisis, Gross tells me. I remember Leverkusen under Schmidt. I too thought that the team's defensive shape and focus was lacking. But quite frankly, what do I know? As a journalist, it's my job to question and review that this process shares a fine line with the presumption of knowledge. Only very few tend to know what is really happening in a dressing room, let alone understand the game anywhere near as well as a head coach does. Without that knowledge, pretending to know the other side is a dangerous and uncomfortable slope because it too often fails to take into consideration one of the hardest things for head coaches to manage, a playing philosophy. If the head coach feels they are standing alone, particularly when the pressure increases, then questions also need to be asked about the structure of support in the club. Head coaches are rarely, if ever, the sole reason teams underperform, and while Gross admits that Schmidt's decisions changed when the pressure grew, something anyone who watched Schmidt's final months at Leverkusen could see, there's clearly a line that the club has to take about their future and their philosophy. It's the same at traditional clubs here in Germany. They think the same way as the English, even Bayern Munich, who just signed Jupp Heynckes as their coach, will certainly make their next head coach in the direction of Pep Guardiola, Gross tells me, referring to the interim appointment of Heynckes after the decision to appoint Carlo Ancelotti didn't work out as desired. Preferably, they'll get an experienced, conservative head coach who appreciates the old values, but he should still have a playing philosophy like Guardiola. That's what they dream of, and that's what tears them back and forth. The appointment of Niko Kovac, a former Bayern Munich player and Croatia head coach, in 2018 combined some of those qualities. His tactical masterclass in the 2018 German Cup final, which saw his Eintracht Frankfurt side beat future employers Bayern 3-1, demonstrated his intelligence. But handling a group full of superstars, as well as the club's remarkable expectations, is another matter. Almost every football club has this age-old battle when it comes to appointing a head coach, experience or youth. There's an argument to be made that that needn't always be an either-or decision. A change in perspective about what counts as experience and a broader level of competence in young coaches means that many coaches, although not enough for Gross's liking, have the ability to be both relatively young and experienced, thus capable of nurturing the so-called old values. The 18th century German author Goethe touched on this concept in Sprüche im Pose, Sayings in Prose. To become aware in time when young of the advantages of age, to maintain the advantages of youth in old age, both are pure fortune. To think and grow beyond the preconceived limits of your age, whether that is back to younger years or towards years you have yet to live out, are huge assets in both life and coaching. But as Gross says, you also need talent to be successful. 
and that's why some young coaches have progressed more than others. Ross went on to reiterate the point that many coaches I spoke to made about youth coaching counting for much more than many give it credit for. People focus on Julian Nagelsmann and Domenico Tedesco because they're so young, but they're also very experienced head coaches, he told me. They've been coaches for ages, starting from youth football. And in truth, 80% of what I do is the same, whether it's with youth footballers or professionals. Thomas Tuchel was also a youth team coach. Jurgen Klopp went straight from player to youth team coach. David Wagner achieved historic success at Huddersfield Town after 150 games in charge of Borussia Dortmund's reserves and 50 games in charge of two youth teams at Hoffenheim. Similarly, Daniel Farker got the chance at Norwich City after coaching Borussia Dortmund's reserves. Most recently, Daniel Stendel was named Barnsley head coach and the 44-year-old's appointment is perhaps the best example. On the face of it, Stendel arrives in Barnsley having managed only 34 first-team games at Hanover. However, like many coaches in Germany, Stendel's experience stretches far beyond that. He coached Hanover's under-17s for 125 games and the club's under-19s for 82 games. He got his Fußballlehrer in 2013, which means that three years before he was Hanover's interim head coach and five years before he was appointed as Barnsley's head coach, Stender was working with the highest coaching qualification. Stender made a strong start to the 2018-19 campaign, but whether he can create a lasting bond with the Yorkshire club and the community remains to be seen. His appointment, though, is recognition of the value of youth coaching and the latest example of how changing a club's culture sometimes requires changing the lens through which you view this sport. The landscape of German coaching might have looked drastically different had Julian Nagelsmann become head coach at Arbe Salzburg, something Gross admits they were interested in doing during Raniak's three-year stint as the club's sporting director. He has a convincing charisma. When he says something, he can express it clearly and simply. And that sounds obvious, but you can see the players are convinced and that they don't think he's too young. These are things that some people have and others don't. Ironically, Nagsman agreed to become Abe Leipzig's manager for the 2019-20 season. Having a clear philosophy is just the starting point for any head coach or leader. The ability to implement it is what separates the best from the rest. Very often, even in Germany, what coaches say and plan isn't always implemented. First, I have to control it in my head, what I want, and I also have to be able to show it and teach it to the players so they can internalise it. That's where an ordinary head coach differs from a very good head coach, one who can put it into action. And they are still rare, even in Germany, I think, Gross says. The strangling of time at the dirty hands of success has left much of the sporting and business world gasping for comprehension. What is an acceptable measure of time in football anymore? What is an acceptable measure of success? A handful of goals in a handful of games for a striker and a social media wildfire later and they're the hottest thing on the market. The same is true for coaches. Nagelsmann's success at Hoffenheim, whom he turned from relegation candidates to Champions League qualifiers, is impressive, and it wasn't long before rumours about him taking over at Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund came about, at least until his move to RB Leipzig was announced. Yet they ignore all the factors that play into the success of a head coach and forget the basic principle that success in one place doesn't guarantee it in another. The best coaching talents do not take a misstep. 
Of course it's painful when you lose your footing on the career ladder, but if you look at it confidently, then you know what you can do as a young head coach, says Cross. It's only those that land on a level that they don't belong on, if they fall off quickly and keep falling, and there are no offers for a year, they're in the stands waiting for a job. That's tough, but that's because they had more success from fortunate circumstances rather than their ability, Gross says, aptly. But if someone arrived at a certain level with quality and is convincing, then they don't fall as far. They have a tough time for a quarter of the year. Roger Schmidt, for example. He could still pick out what he was going to do next. That wasn't obvious to him during his tough time in Leverkusen. That's when you think, oh dear, and you want to stop altogether. But in that moment, that's when you realise where there are options. Despite the third wave of young coaches in Germany, Gross believes the same as Frank Vormid. For those clubs more afraid of losing their position, the value of a name still tends to outweigh the right person for the job. It's the same thing that haunts the Premier League. In Germany, many clubs still lean towards a conservative approach because they know it sells better in the media. But at least we've come to the point where things are 50-50, Gross says with a wry smile. The other half is cheering for young coaches and we've got to be careful they don't say the main thing is that they're young. It's not dependent on age. It's dependent on what they can do and what experience they've had. And it's based on success too. He continues, raising a point that other coaches I speak to also discuss. Success is not just related to a head coach, but also players, Gross continues. In Brazil, there are coaches that were World Cup winners, but former players say they were never taught anything by them. Look at Carlo Angelotti. No one knows why he won titles, in terms of content, but he did win them, so he must have done something superbly. There are coaches who coach those types of teams, with players like Ronaldo, but to train those teams, you have to have certain skills. And to me, those skills remain somewhat hidden. Gross has an analytical mind, one that comes from his first profession, bridge building. Before football became his full-time job, Gross spent half a day working on the site and half a day helping Raniak with Stuttgart's under-19s. It has created a mind that constantly seeks a method, but has also allowed him to appreciate the bigger picture. It is true that the method of some coaches is hard to see, but Gross is equally aware that they must have done something right to win, even if it isn't clear what. Pivotally, the idea that victory was made possible by a number of factors combining at the same time is one that is perhaps underappreciated in football. So often the winning of a trophy is because of the striker's 25 goals or the head coach's innovative thoughts or the signings made in January. In truth, it is the combination of all of those things and a slice of good fortune. And so employing a coach based solely on their previous successes is irresponsible. The question that needs to be asked more often is whether the coach is capable of replicating that success by aligning new or similar pieces of a different jigsaw. One of the biggest pieces of that puzzle is staff, the team behind the team. As the financial circle of football has grown, so has the pressure. To manage that, as an individual and a collective, has become an increasingly trying task, and so having the right people around is important for both the sporting development of a team and its well-being. In an ever-expanding staff, psychologists, fitness coaches and video analysts all play a key role now, even though not so long ago some of their jobs didn't even exist. More on that in Chapter 9. You have to lead a huge staff well, and use them, Gross tells me. For many head coaches, it's a burden. 
They come to the club and say, we've never worked with a psychologist, we don't need that. But to take those people with you and have them working towards a common goal, that will be more and more important for a good head coach. Leadership and management of the team behind a team is a role not to be underestimated in modern sports management. One elderly coach told me they were a goalkeeper coach and a scout at the same time as being head coach, back when they coached. At that time, the bus driver helped out and the whole staff consisted of five people. Football has grown into a financially greedy, culture-driving machine and everything explodes around it. Now, some teams need two buses to transport the team and everyone involved with them. If everyone off the field is working together to help those on it, then the likelihood of success is far higher. All it takes is one person to have a different view of the future and the collective goal can be lost. Just like the team on the field, the group off it also have their own struggles, concerns and issues that need considering. And on top of that, the head coach cannot forget their own well-being, remember chapter 3, or their role at the club. The head coach also has to be stable himself, not that he needs a psychologist in order to be able to deal with the psychologist, Gross quips with a soft chuckle. He mentions that the former RB Leipzig boss, Ralf Hasenhutter, who joined Southampton in December 2018, integrated himself into the team superbly. You have to be able to do that. I think you can only learn how to do some of that. You have to be an open person who knows a great deal and can be smart. It helps to have had experiences elsewhere, but some pick it up very quickly, like Nagelsmann or Tedesco. The experience they got from coaching kids can still come in handy as building blocks when you make it to the top as well. A head coach has to be diverse, but the most important thing of all is being a leader. Gross told me that Hasenhutl's greatest strength was his empathy, and that during his time as head coach, everyone at the club was emotionally connected to him. Perhaps Hasenhutl's greatest strength was coming from Ingolstadt. When Hasenhutl and his band of unknown heroes arrived in the Bundesliga in 2015, just 11 years after Ingolstadt were formed by the merger of the wonderfully named MTV Ingolstadt 1881 of the 4th Division and ESV Ingolstadt Ringsee of the 7th Division, little was known of the team from the small Bavarian city, which is home to a host of company headquarters. Despite the financial backing of one of those companies, Audi, Ingolstadt didn't quite march up the leagues the same way RB Leipzig or Hoffenheim did. It was only when Hasenhutl arrived in 2013 that the wheels really started rolling. Hasenhutl's team weren't spectacular, but they were consistent, and they had a playing style built around collective strength. What sets Hasenhutl apart is that when he arrived at RB Leipzig, he had to adapt to joining a team with much more individual quality. He had to adjust to having more of everything at his new club. That's an important point for a coach, bringing the team beyond the level of the individual, says Kroos. It's also one of the reasons that Hasenhutl spent little time out of work before joining Southampton. Like any head coach or leader, Hasenhutl had to be sure that however many people are involved in the process, he was still the head coach. For all those people, 50-odd if you include the kit man and everyone, the head coach has to be considered as the one. Not everyone has to like him, but everyone has to say, thank God he's here and I know what we have in him. When that breaks then you have to separate yourself from those people, Gross says. Being well-liked by everyone as a head coach is a rare thing indeed. One assistant coach told me that when the head coach he was working for announced his departure, virtually every employee from groundsman to media came to ask the head coach to stay. Why? The head coach had always made time for every person. They had approached every member of the organisation on the same level, 
never from a superior position. They recognized something that another young head coach told me. You have a special job, but that doesn't make you special. Trust means the work remains at the forefront. Head coaches and sporting directors, or those in senior management positions, don't always see eye to eye, as is often the case in business or schools. And that's part of being in a team. But if they can trust one another, then the focus remains on the team and its success, rather than an individual pursuit. If you constantly have to correct the coach, or if you have the feeling you have to observe them all the time, then it's nothing, Frost says. There has to be trust. I have to know it works, even when I'm not there. If the aim of the collective becomes more important than the individual's, then success in this context is greater. Only at the very top is a certain level of inflated self-belief required, says Cross. Vanity is a necessary impulse, but only for those that sit at the top of the hierarchy. That's when vanity can have its advantages. In a tug-of-war, if the coaches of the team start shouting different instructions in an attempt to steal the limelight, the chances of the team winning are reduced. If they have one unified voice, perhaps with just the head coach communicating what the staff have agreed on, the team is not only more likely to understand how to win, but more likely to win. In doing so, you also make the coaching staff more accessible for those that need them the most, the players. To lead the staff so that the players let the staff in. For example, not every player wants to go to the psychologist. That's a special part of leadership, to tell players they have to let people in who want to help, Cross says. The challenge of understanding what each player needs and helping them understand why they need it is also a skill. That's the advantage of younger players, who are a bit more impartial. Older players say, I never did that, I'm not starting now, Cross says, reiterating the idea that Ralph Ranić spoke of in Bochum. On almost every important decision, even if he is clear in his decision, Ranić will likely call Gross just to talk it through. Granted, this is made possible because their friendship spans many decades, but it is also because Gross has never wanted to be anything more than he is. Ralph always says, I'm the most modest person he knows. I take that as a compliment, Gross says, with the soft smile of someone who has done great work that only very few people know about. He doesn't get questioned but it means he can focus on his work more, because Gross has put the team's success before his own. It's only a small aspect of it, but those who aren't in the limelight often are trusted more by others. People tell me things they wouldn't like to tell the head coach, because they know I won't do anything with it, Gross says. Gross and Ranik have had success over the years for a number of reasons. Clearly, an extensive turnover in an already wealthy transfer market has helped develop the club and improve the profit column. But the development of individuals around a team philosophy has also led to strong bonds with young players. We've had players who have been on international duty and sent texts saying, hope the international break is soon over so we can play real football again. They want to play our style, and some of them struggle with their national team, Gross tells me. Whether it's managing staff, the steadfast belief in a philosophy, or a place to use innovation, the approach Gross has to coaching is intriguing. Whenever I mentioned his name to other coaches I spoke to for this book, Gross was revered. At the time of our meeting, the 70-year-old humbly told me he'd continue to offer his advice if it was still desired until the end of the 2017-18 season, but admitted that by then, it really has to be the end. Because you even start to look a little oddly at yourself otherwise. I've had to learn a great deal over the last few years. 
not because someone demanded it of me, but because I saw that people wanted to listen to what we were saying, Gross says, before admitting the key caveat. Success is a drug that is hard to stop craving. Gross might have been mute on how much he'd be involved in seasons to come, but the future of German coaching is something he was clearer on. I used to say, the best head coach in the world is the best doctor, the best physiotherapist, teacher, psychologist, and so on. There are no limits to the top, Gross says matter-of-factly. While the modern head coach doesn't need to be able to do everything, now that such an enormous staff is usually in place, an understanding and respect of everyone's role in success is pivotal. Remember what Frank Vormuth said, our main goal is to make conductors who don't have to be able to do everything, but should be aware of everything. Bruce believes some coaches don't know why they're successful, why they won a game. In such moments, the importance of the staff, particularly the video analysis, is clear. Nevertheless, the human elements of coaching success must be remembered. The sulky coaches of the past don't work anymore today. You hear it with Julian Nagelsmann or Domenico Tedesco that the players have the feeling the coaches are their big brothers. That just means that empathy is there. That's important. We have to be careful that this isn't lost. That we don't become too analytical. I know Thomas Tuchel enough to say he's a warm, likeable, empathetic and incredibly honest person. Yet I see him in his interviews and can understand that others think he's a little colder. That he only thinks analytically. That's not the truth, Cross says. Over-analytical is a trait that is often assigned to coaches, like Tuchel or even Pep Guardiola. It doesn't always mean the coach lacks a connection to his players. Perhaps that connection is just hidden, more private. You can't just have a formula, Gross says, somewhat ironically, considering Raniak's equation for the assessment of competence in young players. While that approach has value, the key is knowing when to apply it and when not to. Gross, a man full of stories, who has been one of the central brains behind the development of one of Germany's leading playing styles and a host of talented coaches, certainly knows that. Chapter 6. Key Lesson To not be deterred by external perceptions of age and experience. To recognise the importance of managing your team. As Gross and countless others have said, quality shines through. And the experience a lot of young head coaches have by the time they reach the top job at pro level deserves greater recognition. All development towards the top is of value, even if the moving parts are different to those at the peak. To lead and inspire a group, but also to manage it, requires a great deal of competence. Remember chapter 2. In sport, business or life, those who don't recognise the value of the team around them tend to stumble. Great leaders always recognise they were not alone in reaching the top. Mensch Beyond the Cones is available from ockleybooks.co.uk and from Amazon.